Well, good morning, Journey. How y'all doing? You good? Good. Good to be with you this morning. For those of you who are guests, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here and so excited to kick off this new series called Spent. We are going to spend the four weeks leading up to Christmas, uh, preparing ourselves for the God who has given himself in the form of a baby in a manger. And so what we want to do uh, is we want to invest in you so that you can invest in the world around you so that you can spend your life really, really well. My goal would be that by the time we get to January 1, you wouldn't actually say, oh, I feel so spent or that you wouldn't say, oh, look at our credit card bill, we spent too much, okay? I would hope you could say that this season of life was well spent for you, that you spent every minute well, that you spent every dollar well, that you spent all your energy and your time and your resources as well as you could. Title of the sermon this morning is called Give a Little, and it's in John 6, 1 through 13. I would like to read a little story for you to engage with this morning. The words will be up here, or you can follow along with me in your Bible, or if you're split screening at home, good for you. Multitasking. All right. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, the area in which Jesus was doing a pile of his ministry, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he said, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered around 5,000. So imagine about eight to 10,000 people. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full... Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray that as we look at this story of this little lunch and this little boy and the great things that you did with it, that it would inspire us and that it would give us a glimpse of what you would want to do in the generosity that we can give back to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Bob said, and actually as Jesus said, it is better to give 
than to receive. This is our big idea throughout this series. We engage with a God who gives. I'm reading a lot of literature around this sermon series about giving. And one of the things I read just this past week is you're never more like God than when you give. Isn't that an interesting statement? You're never more like God than when you give because God is a giver. He's the giver of all good gifts. And so the big idea is that we want to live a better life. It's better to give than to receive. But we find ourselves in a really weird spot when it comes to actually embracing that fully. Because you see, we have a lot. And statistically, those who have more tend to give less. There are a pile of studies that have come out in the past couple of years uh, engaging into the question of uh, how do people give and who's the most generous people. And one of the correlations found in all of those studies is this. As people get wealthier, the percentage that they give back and they give away is less and less and less. So the wealthier you are, the less you actually give. Now, uh, what's interesting in those statistics is if you're really wealthy, you can actually give a lot more in your 1% or 2% than a guy like me can give in my 1% or 2%, right? But the, but the reality is this, and it holds true, that the more, we are, are, the more wealth we receive, the more difficult it is for us to give that. It's why Jesus says things like this. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the king of kingdom of heaven. Translation, it's really, really hard, right? Like if you have a lot, right? There's a less of a need for God. If you've got all your needs taken care of, there's less of a tangible need for God. And so we would say, yeah, it is better to give than to receive. But listen, we live in the top probably 5% of all the people in America. If you rode in a car this morning, if you slept in some sort of a house last night, something with a roof over your head, right? If you ate breakfast this morning, right? If you have a toilet that you can flush and the bad stuff goes away, right? Okay, this is a miracle to some people. 5% of the world knows what this kind of a lifestyle is. And and so it's easy for us to give, give credence to the idea that it's better to give than to receive, but it's actually quite hard for us. If we're in the top 5% of all the people in the world, statistically, we we would say it's harder for us to actually to give than to receive. And and here, here's the thing. There's two ways to live. You can live, do this with me, you can live like this. So put your fists up like this, okay? You can live like this. And this is a really not a great way to live. But a, a lot of us do, we live this way. It's about me and mine and I want to hang on to what I have. Or you can live like this. Put your hands out. You can live open. You can live generously. You can live a life that is full of Giving, So I want to help us because I got the same problems y'all got, right? Like I, I, I tend to live like this instead of like this. But I know that when Jesus says it's better to give than to receive, that I want to be living a better life. Notice when Jesus says better, he doesn't mean easier. 
Sometimes that's what we want church to be. That's what we want Christian life to be. We want easier. That, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying better, not easier, not simpler, not funner. I know that you don't like the grammar on that. That's fine. I don't care, okay? It's not funner, right? It's better. And so Jesus wants us to live a better life. I've heard this, uh, a pastor say it this way. Jesus makes your life better and he makes you better at life. And we believe that here at Journey, and we want you to live a better life. Better like the cats were versus the Grizz yesterday. Just better, all right? (laughs) But there's a problem. And here's the problem. And and you know this about me already. You figured this out. Like, there's always this flip side, and you're like, oh, it's gonna get me now. Okay, okay. Here's the problem our greedy little hearts. We have greedy little hearts. This morning at the nine o'clock service, we had a young boy, uh, like a toddler, who was dedicated to Jesus. And I looked over at the family and I said, your your son is handsome and wonderful and I'm sure he's great, but he's a sinner. And they were like, oh, and I don't know, I hope they come back. Um, Anyway, so, um, no. And here's the reality, and I had a little conversation with him. Like, kids are this beautiful blessing from God, but they're not easier, right? They're not simpler. In fact, they come out thinking about one thing. You know what it is? Themselves. That's right. They come out screaming and kicking and give me what I want and what I need. Even if I can't use words, I'm going to tell you that I got a problem. I need some milk. I need my diaper changed. I need something because this life is about me. We're born with this. We're born with greedy little hearts. This, this week, some of you are going to go Spend a pile of money on Black Friday. And the reality is, you're like, I love to give gifts. Yeah, you also like to get them, don't you? Right? Like, I do. Okay, so this time of year, uh, here's how my head thinks. I'm just, it is what it is, right? So, uh, my birthday's in December. Anybody else got a December birthday? Okay, all right. So, Bob and I, we, we have birthdays both in December, actually. So, we have to share our birthdays with each other and with Jesus, Okay? <laughs> Which I'm like, hey, Jesus, you could have made it whenever. And why December, okay? Because all y'all July birthdays, raise your hand, spoiled. That's what you are. You're spoiled, okay? Right? Like my wife has her birthday right after tax day, so she gets either really good gifts or nothing. So that's, that's just how it works, okay? <laughs> but I, I start thinking this time of year, like, about my gifts. And I get excited about my gifts. And, and I'm like, oh, I hope I don't get gypped this year because I don't get a birthday present and a Christmas present because I used to get the, any December birthdays feeling this. Sometimes your parents would be like, oh, we got one present for both. And you're like, oh, man. Like, you know? So, like, I get this in my, in my heart. And I kind of have to squash it all the time because somehow, for some reason, I'm just, I got this greedy little heart. Maybe it's not about gifts. Maybe it's about like your finances as a whole. Do you remember what you made at your first job, right? Like how much money you made at your first job and you thought, boy, that's not much money. 
and you thought this, I thought this, I wish I could make some, thank you, more, right? So our first year of marriage, we, we were living in, in Iowa, Laura was finishing up school, and we lived in a renovated funeral home, okay? I know, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like, I, she didn't know what she was getting into, poor, poor gal. Okay, so like the, the master bedroom was probably the old embalmment room. Like there was a family that lived next door. We think they were real, so maybe not. Um, <laughs> and, and I was bivocational at that point. I was helping out with a church plant, doing youth ministry, and then I was also uh, like doing some carpentry and um, some construction work to try to supplement that income. And I remember getting to the end of the year and getting our tax return already. And, and I looked at the numbers and I was like, that can't be. Like, how did we, how did we make it? You know? And I, and I thought to myself, if I can just make a little more, like I had this number in my head, right? If I could just make that much, then I'd be fine, right? And then guess what happened? At some point, I got there, and guess what I thought? There's a new number. <laughs> That's what I thought, right? And if I could just get there, then I'd be, then I'd be good. And, and, and guess what? I got to that number. And then, you know, do you know what I'm saying? So John D. Rockefeller, the wealthiest man probably who ever lived in America, at the height of his wealth, he owned 1% of all the wealth in America. Can you imagine that? 1% of all the wealth in America, 99% for the rest of us, and 1% for just one guy, Okay. And he was being interviewed by someone about his wealth. And the person who was interviewing him said this, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And his answer to them was, just a little more. 1% of all the wealth in America. And his reply was, just a little more. We even have movies about this this time of year, don't we? Charles Dickens writes The Christmas Carol and the infamous um, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Bah humbug, he hates Christmas. He just wants to hold on to his money. He's kind of the, the stereotypical caricature of somebody who just lives a life like this. And part of why that is so popularized is because we know that we have that within ourselves. We know that we have greedy little hearts. And so that even though we know it's better to give than to receive, that it's hard for us because we think about ourselves. What I want to convince you of this morning is you don't need a little more. You need to give a little more. So I want to go to our story, and I want to talk about the unsung hero, this little hero in this story, this little boy and his lunch. So the setup for this story is that Jesus is going around, and Jesus is doing uh, some great ministry, and crowds are beginning to follow him. And at this point, there's somewhere around eight 8,000 to 10,000 people following him. So we can fit about 900 and something amount of people in here, 990, I think, when we are creative with our chairs. Okay, so um, just imagine if this place was packed, 
times, let's just say 10, okay? So 10 of these groups hanging out together, following after Jesus. And, and they all get hungry, or maybe they would say, if they knew this vernacular back then, they were hangry, right? Like my five-year-old gets sometimes after lunch, right? Hangry, okay? So hangry, and Jesus and his disciples look around and go, there's nowhere to buy food. And Jesus says to his disciples, he's setting them up, he says, what are we going to do? Oh no, Jesus says, right? I don't know what we're going to do. Do you guys have any idea what we should do? All the while, he knows what's going to happen. And so his disciples go, I don't, I don't know what to do. Do you know what to do? No. Do you know what to do? I don't know what to do. I mean, even if we worked for months and months and months, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have enough money to buy nothing for these people. How are we going to feed eight to 10,000 people, Jesus? I don't know. And then, and then Andrew, God bless him. That's what they say in the South before they say something mean about you. They're like, bless his heart, right? That's Andrew. Andrew comes up and they're like, oh, Andrew, bless his heart. Andrew's got an idea. And Andrew says, I found a little boy and he's got a little lunch. He's got five loaves of bread and he's got two fish. He brought his lunch with him and he's willing to share his little lunch with this big crowd. Now you gotta just put yourself in this moment, right? You gotta imagine the disciples in this moment. They're looking at, at Andrew like, really, Andrew? And Jesus is like, okay, yeah, I'll take that five loaves and two fish. And, and they're thinking, what, what is he gonna do with it? You also gotta think about the little boy, right? Albert Tate did a fantastic sermon. So if this one isn't good enough, Google Albert Tate, okay? You'll get a good sermon. Okay, so <laughs> get what you pay for. Anyway, um, so... Albert Tate makes, um, he, he, he takes the, the vantage point of the boy, which I think is really interesting. He says, can you imagine if, if there were some disciples, they were walking around and you're in this big crowd and, and you've got this lunch and, and one of the disciples asks you, hey, can we, can we have your lunch? And you, you think, yeah, sure, I'll give my five loaves and two fish. But like, what's that going to do? And yet the little boy, he gives the lunch to Jesus and then something amazing starts to happen. But I, I gotta paint this picture for you. Like, it's, it's like this, okay? Y'all familiar with one of these? Uh, they're supposedly lunch, okay? Um, so this, this is how, this is, I wanna paint this picture for you properly. So a little boy shows up, right? And he's got his Lunchable with him. That's what he's got. And he brings it to Andrew, and Andrew brings it to Jesus, and then Jesus says, okay, I'm going to take that Lunchable. And then he says, I'm going to do this. I'll open it. I, think, I don't think he had plastic. Wow, that's like, a five-year-old can't open that. That's for sure. That's faulty. Okay. Jeepers. All right. So he takes it, takes the bread, the wafer, and he breaks it. This is actually sort of pizza dough. I don't know how this is going to work. Okay. And he's got, he's got pepperonis, apparently. He's not that Jewish today. Um, <laughs> saying. <laughs> he's got his Nestle Crunch, his pizza sauce, right? And, and he says, and his Capri Sun, and he says, okay, so, Stephanie, come here. Steph, come here. Stephanie, come here. Steph, come here. So, Steph. 
all I need you to do. This is going to go one of two ways, okay? <laughs> Hold on, I got to do this. Jesus, thank you. Okay, that's what he did. And then he gave it to his disciples. And you, I need you to distribute that. I'm serious. <laughs> and, and it's going to go one of two ways, okay, Steph? So there's no pressure. Okay. But this could be awesome. <laughs> Like really awesome. People will be talking about it for a long time or not so much. No, I'm serious. You need to distribute it. I'm dead serious. I'm totally serious. This is, I'm not, okay, okay, perfect. Let me know when it's all gone. This could be really good, you guys. It didn't go really good in the first service, but Stephanie is very spiritual. So I think, I think it's going to go well. This is the audacity of this, right? Like, we're going to make it a couple rows, probably. And if we don't, we got a whole other thing going on, right? But, like, like, this is how the story goes. Like, can you imagine being the little boy? Like, here's my little lunch. I'm a little boy. And there's this huge crowd, eight to 10,000 people, right? And here's my five loaves and my two fish. And y'all must not be that holy because it's only getting past the third row up in here, okay? Right? This is the craziness of this story. You've got to put yourself in the shoes of this little boy who offers his little lunch, insignificant little boy. We don't even know his name. And yet he offers what he has to Jesus and it fills everybody to the brim. It fills everybody until they're full. They just keep, they just keep passing the baskets around, right? Imagine the conversation this little boy had with his mom and dad later that night, right? Hey, well, let's just call him Biff, okay? <laughs> Sounds like a good biblical name. So Biff gets home. And his mom and dad say, hey, Biff, how'd your day go? And he says, you won't believe what happened. I gave Jesus my five loaves and my two fish because there was eight to 10,000 people hanging around. And Jesus started handing out baskets, which I thought were basically empty. But people started reaching in and grabbing out more bread and more bread and more bread and more fish and more fish and more fish. And it just happened over and over and over until the whole place was fed with my little lunch. And they were like, Biff's parents are like, okay, Biff, how's your magical unicorn today, right? I mean, this is, this is craziness. But this is what Jesus does. Jesus takes the little and he makes it a lot. So much so that there's leftovers. Jesus says, after everybody's full, everybody's had their fill, which is what Jesus comes to do. He comes to, to give you life to the full. So after everybody's full, then he says, go collect all the baskets so gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. It's not just that everybody gets fed. It's not that just everybody gets full. It's that there's extra because Jesus doesn't waste a thing. This is fantastic. This is amazing that God would work through a little boy with his little lunch and do great, great things. So here's what I want to encourage you with in our remaining time together this morning. I want to ask you this. What are you doing with your lunch? 
what are you doing with what God has given you, even if you feel like it's little? Especially if you feel like it's little. Especially if you feel insignificant. Especially if you feel like you're a nobody. What are you doing with the lunch that Jesus has given to you? See, I want us to grow in our generosity throughout this series. And I want us to grow in these really tangible ways. So I want to give you a first step today. First step generosity is this. Give a little. Just give a little. Just give a little and God can do a lot. See, you don't just wake up generous one day. You don't wake up like this. We already covered this. You wake up like this, okay? You have to work to get to here. You have to respond to a generous God with a generous life, right? It's like, it's like this. If I would say, I'm going to get in shape in 2020, and round is not the shape I'm looking for, okay? <laughs> right? right? And I would say... I'm going to go to the gym, and I went, to the, I went over to the YMCA, right? And I got on the, the bike for like two minutes, and then I got on the elliptical for about 30 seconds, a couple push-ups, one pull-up, and got off, and I said, guess what? I'm in shape. And you'd be like, no, no, you're not, right? The question would be, when would I actually get in shape? Day 15, day 30, day 45, day 90. What day would I finally get in shape? I can tell you, I can tell you sort of when it's going to happen. Sometime after the first day. Right? If I never go to the gym, I will never get in shape. I can't think about getting in shape. I can't pray about getting in shape. I can't, I can't be like, oh, if I just, I just hope, 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 hope that I get in shape. It's not going to happen. What I have to do is I have to go and I have to get into the gym. I have to get with a trainer and I've got to work hard at this. Because my body doesn't want, it doesn't want to, uh, doesn't want to lose weight on its own, right? Like, I like nachos and cheeseburgers. Look at that neck, okay? So, like, it's not going to happen on its own. It's only going to happen purposefully if I start with one step. So your first step is simple. It's just, it's just a little act of obedience. It's just a little act of obedience. For those of you who have kiddos, um, or you were a kiddo, which is everyone, okay? Uh, one of the first things you needed to learn in this life to do well and to have a life that was better was simple obedience. You needed to learn what you could do and what you couldn't do. You needed to learn what was good and what was bad, right? You needed to learn simple acts of obedience. And, and I think for many of us, we need to just view a first step toward generosity as an act of Obedience. There's a guy by the name of Rick Warren, Rick and Kay Warren. They pastor a little church in Southern California. By little, I mean like 20,000 people, okay? So as the story goes, Rick and Kay Warren were talking about generosity. 
And they were saying to one another in a private conversation, by the way, that's how you're supposed to have these conversations about finances and about giving to the church and giving to the needy and being generous. You're supposed to have those privately, quietly, with, with, with your home. So like, that's how you're gonna go have them um, later today or this week, right? You're, Jesus actually said it this way. You're not even supposed to let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, okay? So, so they went, um, Kay and Rick Warren, they went and they had this conversation in private and they said, listen, how we think about God informs us that our God is generous, that our God is a giver, that God has given all of himself to us and that we can never outgive God. And so this driving thought in their head that they said, we can't outgive the God. We really believe that we can never outgive God. And so what does that actually mean in our lives? And so what that meant for them was they decided they were going to try to outgive God, knowing that they couldn't. And so what they said is, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give a percentage of our income to the church and to charity every single year. And every single year, we're going to up that percentage no matter what. Bad year, good year, bad economy, good economy. we got medical bills, non-medical bills. Every year, we're going to up the percentage. might just be a half of a percent. But every year, we're going to give more and more and more. They started with 10%. How many of you have heard of a tithe? Anybody? Okay. Tithe. So tithe is a churchy word. If you're not churchy, you're like, well, here we go. Churchy words. I'll unpack it for you, okay? So a tithe means 10 means 10%. This is an Old Testament, uh, there's some some principles in the Old Testament, a story in particular about a man named Abraham who came across a high priest named Melchizedek. And in honor of Melchizedek, he gave him 10% of everything that he owned. And from that point on in the Bible, this idea of the tithe became pretty normalized, that you would say, hey, there's a standard that we can give 10% of our Uh, of what we have to the church, to charity, and then we can live off of 90%. Can I just say it this way? And I'm gonna lean a little bit on you, okay? If we all gave 10% in the room to church and charity, that would change the world. I'm serious. I'm I'm just, I I don't know what any of you give. I never will. I don't want to. That's between you and God. But I can tell you right now, if we all gave 10% and lived on 90%, we would change the world. We would absolutely change the world. And so for a long time, Christians have said there's this standard of giving that would start at, at a tithe. Here's what I would say to you. That's between you and God. That is totally between you and God, Rick Warren and Kay Warren, they didn't have this conversation say, hey, we're gonna make sure we broadcast this and we let everybody know. I don't even, they said they started at 10%, but I don't know what the next year was. I just know it was higher. And so for you, maybe a little step is 1%. Maybe a little step for you is 5%. Maybe it's 10.5% and you wanna live, you wanna live off of 89.5%. So Rick and Kay Warren had this conversation and years went by and, and suddenly they were giving 20% away and then 30% away and 40% away and 50% away, living on half of their income. And in the midst of all that, Rick wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life, which is one of the bestsellers of all time. Right? New York Times bestseller of all time. It's one of the top. And because of that, a lot of money came into him. 
And I heard him say when he was speaking about, fun, about funds and tithing and generosity, he said this, the only reason that God let me write that book is because Kay and I made the decision and commitment to be obedient to him and to give and to give and to give. And Jesus knew that if I wrote a book like that and had that much money coming into me, he knew that it wasn't gonna stay with me. It was gonna go out from me. See, Rick Warren would say the only reason that he was allowed to write that book is because he had a track record of generosity and God knew that he had entrusted him with a little and that he could entrust him with a lot. Fast forward, Rick Warren and his wife are living around 90% of their income is being given away. 10% of their income is what they, they use and live in and, 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 and use and work with. And honestly, like, I don't think Rick Warren actually likes Hawaiian shirts as much as he does. Like, I just think that's all he can afford at this point, okay? His church is the most generous church in America. They've done more than any other church in America for the AIDS crisis in Africa. They have a team that travels the world. All they do is travel the world, going from disaster to disaster to disaster, giving relief to those people. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. All because Rick and Kay Warren said you can't outgive God and we're gonna give just a little more and a little more and a little more every single year. As a kid, my mom used to give me a dollar bill and I talked to somebody else this week who had the same kind of mom strategy and um, we would put that little dollar bill in the offering as it went by every week and it was this little act of obedience. This little dollar bill, it's insignificant. You can't barely, you can't barely buy, you can't, you can't buy this poster that we made for a dollar. <laughs> a little known fact. <laughs> um, but it represents so much more. I have a good friend named Tom who has taught me a lot about giving and generosity. And he said, your money, your, your dollars, are not, they're not dollars. What they are is kingdom-building units. What can this build in the kingdom? We need to stop looking at this as the almighty dollar, right? And we need to start saying, what can this do for the kingdom of the almighty? How could this little teeny lunch affect so many people? What if I offered Jesus just a little bit? What would he do? Church, if we would offer him just the little that we have, he would do immeasurably more. That's not just something that we said last week because that was fun at Vision Weekend. We believe if we just give him a little bit, he'll do immeasurably more. This is the God we serve. This God is so great that everyone looks at him and says, how did that happen? It couldn't have been from that little boy and his little lunch. It must have only been because God was in it. Church, your home would change if you gave a little more. It would. Your heart would change if you gave a little.
community would change if you gave a little. Our city would change if you gave a little. The ripple effects of our generosity could change the whole world if we just gave a little. So what about you? What's your next step? At the bottom of your outline, there's a my spent next step. And I want you to think about this practically. I want you to go home. I want you to think about this on your own. Uh, if, if you're married, got kiddos, whatever, whatever your home looks like, engage with them and have this conversation about where you're at in terms of your generosity and talk about what do we want to do? What step would we like to take in terms of giving a little? Here's some practical thoughts as you reflect on that uh, next step. One, Advent conspiracy. For the next four weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to have a big Christmas tree out there. And it's going to have ornaments on it to remind you of the different things that we're giving to. Um, this is, this is uh, amazing that we give away a huge chunk of our Christmas Eve offering every year. It just blows my mind. Like, you realize that most churches, like, Christmas Eve is the one where you, like, catch up. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it is. You catch up on budget. I actually tried to talk Bob into, like, hey, maybe we should just keep it, Bob. And he was like, no, thanks. I didn't really try to. But anyway... <laughs> It was fun this morning at the nine o'clock I did. Um, and he shook his head disapprovingly at that joke. So anyway, he's not in here anymore. Um, <laughs> so Advent conspiracy, I think you should consider where God is stirring in your heart to give a little. Uh, tithing, I think some of you should just have a conversation around that. Just say, hey, what are we giving to journey and to the church and to charity? I can promise you this. We will do as much with what you give us to transform the lives of people for Jesus. We will do everything we can to put love into action in radical ways just like Jesus. That's what we are committed to. In this upcoming year, you, like you might hear about some expansion stuff and some fun stuff that Bob was even teasing out this past weekend. I'll tell you why we would do that for people. We would do that for people because Jesus loves people. He loves you. He loves me. He loved the world so much that he gave and gave and gave. In fact, he gave his one and only son. So I'd have a conversation around tithing. A $5 challenge. This is just a $1. I got a $5. We're coming up with that next week, I think. The $5 challenge. How many of you still have a $5? Just be honest. It's okay. You still, yeah, so we got a couple. I, I saw one on somebody's fridge this week. And I was like, yes, it's still going, the $5 challenge, right? The $5 challenge is not just for that week. The $5 challenge is every week. How can you give a little to have a conversation with someone, to invest in somebody's life, to care and love for someone? The base camp. Uh, so parents in the room, you're gonna hear about this. They're buying goats and chickens. Let the little children lead us, okay, right? They're buying goats and chickens for across uh, the world for people who need uh, sustenance through that. And so um, throughout this Advent series, they're going to be raising funds to give um, goats and chickens to families in need. I want you to consider practically with whoever's in your home what your next step in generosity would be that we would become a little bit more like God. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you that you gave and you gave and you gave and you still do. That you have given us yourself, that you've given us your spirit. You've given us each other. God, we're, we're so blessed and we have so much God, I just ask that you would transform our hearts to be more like you, to be more and more generous, to be seeing the world through your eyes. Jesus, thank you that you, you took this little boy's lunch and that you did so much for that. Thanks that you want to take our little lunches and you want to do immeasurably more. Jesus, we believe this. We believe in you and your power. We believe in who you are. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information, or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.